We want to continue our series on the Holy Spirit. So let's start tonight in in First Corinthians chapter twelve. First Corinthians chapter twelve. Paul, speaking by the Holy Ghost to the church, said, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Notice the word gifts is in italics. It means whenever you find a word in italics in the King James, it means the translators added it, trying to enhance our understanding of what's being spoken of. They, um, they missed the boat on this one, though, because the word spiritual in the original text is in the plural. We wouldn't understand what that means, but the definition of the word is things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost. See, not everything in the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians is about spiritual gifts. It talks about the body of Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit in that manner. Uh, it talks about ministry gifts and the anointing of God for different ministries to perform different works according to the will of God. So it's talking about things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost. And Paul speaking by the Holy Ghost says to us that he doesn't want us ignorant of those things. You know that you were Gentiles carried away under these dumb idols, even as you were led. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and that no man can say Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Now, the, the preceding verses uh, identify a little bit of what idol worship was like in the uh, first generation of the church. Some of these people, well, all of these people that make up the church at Corinth, have come from idol worship. And uh, many times in the temples, the, the, uh, the worship to these idols included hallucinogenic drugs and uh, uh, strong drink and different things like that. And uh, under the influence of some of these things, there would be a, a spirit that would come upon the people or someone in the crowd perhaps or the, the priest or the priestess of this, particularly, this particular God that was represented by the idol. And they would speak out and say things. Now, it was a manifestation of the devil, but they didn't know. And so when Paul writes to the church, he's saying some of the people that have been used and familiar with the use of evil spirits, familiar with the work of the evil spirits during these idol worship services in the temples, they're doing the same thing among you. And so he's telling them, first and foremost, the way to identify if something is from God is if it magnifies Jesus. He says, no man speaking by the Spirit of God would call Jesus accursed. Well, you could well understand that the influence, when the influence of uh, the devil comes upon someone or came upon someone in their midst, he's going to do everything he can to denigrate the name of Jesus, to call the, the plan of God in the church a lie. And so there were all kinds of things that were being done and being said by people who thought they were moving, being moved on by the Holy Ghost. But Paul shuts it down with one foundational truth, and that is the Holy Ghost always magnifies Jesus. Always. In every respect. Verse 4, he says, Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. This word gifts is not in italics. It's in the original translation or the, the original text. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it's the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. God will use any of us. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. Let me back up a little bit. Notice he didn't say God will use only the mature ones among us. 
It says he, he divides to every man severally as he wills. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. To another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another the gifts of healings by the same Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another discerning of spirit. To another divers kinds of tongues. Literally in the original text it just says kinds of tongues. To another the interpretation of tongues. Verse 11, but all these worketh that one and the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he wills. Now, I want you to skip with me to a couple other scriptures just real close here. Look with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Skip down to verse 31. Well, I guess we better start reading in verse 28 to get the context of what he's talking about. He says, and God has set some in the church. Well, this is still that same 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians. And he's talking about ministry gifts or ministry offices that God said in the church. He's not talking about manifestations of the Holy Ghost anymore. He's not talking about spiritual gifts, what we know of as spiritual gifts. He's talking about ministry offices. And God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers. After that, miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, and diversities of tongues. Now, he mentions some things that are on the, the list of manifestations of the Spirit earlier in the chapter. Working of miracles is part of the, the list of nine gifts of the Spirit, if you will. Well, here it's talking about miracles being a ministry gift, too. Same thing with tongues, diversities of tongues. That's a part of the manifestation of the Holy Spirit list earlier in the chapter. But here he's talking about there are some that will be used in tongues and interpretation as a part of a ministry gift or a ministry office. Same thing with gifts of healings. Gifts of healings is part of the, the list of nine manifestations of the Holy Ghost. But there's a ministry office for the gifts of healings too. Verse 29, he says, are all apostles? Certainly not. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? Evidently not. Are all workers of miracles? Clearly not. Obviously not. Have all the gifts of healings? Well, we know that would have to be no too. Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Now, some uh, a segment of the church will take this phrase, do all speak with tongues and do all interpret, and identify just what we're declaring, that the answer to all those things is no. But remember, he's talking about ministry offices. He's saying literally, Paul is saying by the Holy Ghost, is everyone used in a public ministry of tongues and interpretation? Well, not according to God's plan. And some will take that verse of Scripture or part of a verse of Scripture and say, well, see, tongues are done away with. We don't need to speak in tongues today like they did. But they're confusing the personal evidence, the initial evidence of speaking with other tongues as a result of being filled with the Spirit and the manifestations of the Spirit that are identified in early in, early in the chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and the ministry offices that are being spoken of and listed here and at the end of the chapter. So he's really saying, is everybody going to have a public ministry in tongues and or interpretation? And the answer to that is no. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't or we can't speak in other tongues. It doesn't mean that everybody that's filled with the Holy Ghost won't speak with other tongues because they will. That's the way that we know that we are filled. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost in the upper room in Acts 2-4. And they began to speak with other tongues. 
Notice it says they began to speak. They began to speak with other tongues. That means they were intended by God to do this continually. They began to speak. Some will say tongues have been done away with. Well, says who? Some will say we don't have that or we don't need that in this modern day because we've got scientific advances and so on and so forth. But folks, I don't want any of the supernatural work of God taken away from me. Do you? There is no place where it says tongues have been done away with. There is a, a scripture that says tongues will be done away with. But that's when we get to heaven. And at the same time tongues are done away with, knowledge is done away with. Now the people that say that tongues have been done away with now, and it's not available for us in our day because of the difference in God's plan. First of all, God never changes his plan. His plan is always the same. and His plan is eternal. But those same people would have to identify knowledge as having been done away with too. Now, that'd be an easy argument for some people to make, I'm sure. Because they seem to have little or no knowledge. But it's only when we get to heaven that those things will be done away with. Knowledge will give way to truth. Tongues will give way to a face-to-face relationship with God. Let's keep reading now. Verse 31. But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. You see that word covet? In the Greek, it literally means warmth. It's talking about the warmth of affection. He's telling, but it's also uh, translated other things in different places in the New Testament. It's not a word that's used a lot. I think there's about 11 or 12 times where it's used. And sometimes it's used for envy. And it's pointing, uh, pointing us to a great desire that we as the church body should have for the manifestations of the Spirit. Covet earnestly these things. Now the Bible says not to covet. But when you're desirous of the things of God, for the Holy Ghost to manifest himself as Jesus said that he would, that must be an exception to the rule. He says this a couple other places too. Look with me in chapter 14, verse 1. Chapter 13 was Paul telling us about how love is the more excellent way and the development of the love and what the divine uh, kind of love, the love of God looks like. And he picks up again in verse 14, follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. Again, the word gifts is in italics, meaning the translators added this word to help our understanding. But we have the benefit of knowing this because we've read it before. And that knowledge that comes to us from knowing ahead of time what Paul is talking about He's trying to bring order back to their services so the people in the town, the unsaved people in the town, don't think they're crazy. Because when they're coming to church, apparently everybody's trying to speak in tongues at once. And in some cases, perhaps, that's the only thing they want to do is speak in tongues for the entirety of the service. And Paul's going to bring them back around to the place to understand that these things need to be handled and and operated in order, in divine order, so that everybody benefits from it. And he winds up saying that prophecy is the best gift to have. Prophecy is just inspired utterance in a known tongue, a tongue known to the speaker. He's saying that prophecy is the thing that we need to shoot for because he's 
directing the church, again by the inspiration and the direction of the Holy Ghost, to understand the importance of the doctrine. Holy Ghost revealed doctrine, teaching, so that people can grow. So he's saying, he winds up telling them, they're forfeiting the opportunity to teach people about God, to teach people what God is, uh, what he has done, what his plan is, what Jesus has accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection. And so when he talks about coveting prophecy, coveting to prophesy, he's talking about seek, be zealous of, be jealous of, be warmly affectionate to prophecy because it helps people grow. Let's read it again. Follow after love and desire spiritual gifts, things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost, but rather that you may prophesy. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries, divine secrets. Now, why would, we, why would we expect God to do away with that? That sounds like an important thing, doesn't it? It does to me. But he that prophesies, verse 3, speaketh unto men to edification, exhortation, and comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifies himself. But he that prophesies edifies the church. The word edify means to build up yourself. We might have a, a closer word picture to, the, uh, to our modern day understanding than they had back then. Someone is likened it to recharging yourself like a battery. In other words, it's talking about spiritual empowerment. And remember, Jesus said to the disciples in Acts 1.8, Tarry ye in Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Ghost, for you shall be endowed with power. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Now, they were already saved. They were in the temple worshiping God and, and magnifying the name of Jesus because he had been raised from the dead. So they're clearly saved. But then he's talking about Jesus begins to talk to them about the power of the Holy Ghost to do the same works that he did. Well, how did Jesus do the works that he did? He said it was the power of the Holy Ghost. He called it the Father in him. But the power of God here on the earth is the Holy Ghost. And so through the operation of the Holy Ghost, Jesus performed the miracles that he performed he healed the sick he did all kinds of things and he told the church told the disciples that because of the holy ghost being come and given to us we do the same works that he did and even greater works because he went to the father so here where it says he that speaketh in an unknown tongue verse 4 edifies himself he recharges himself like a battery he provides spiritual power for himself through the operation of the Holy Ghost in and through him. Well, folks, doesn't that sound like an important thing? Doesn't being empowered to grow spiritually and to be conformed to the image of Christ, isn't that something that's worthwhile for us today too? Absolutely, yes. Absolutely. Now skip down a little bit further with me in chapter 14. I want to show you the other thing. Well, let me, let me read a couple of verses as we go. Notice verse 5, Paul said, I would that you all spake with tongues, but rather that you prophesied. For greater is he that prophesies than he that speaketh with tongues, except or unless he interpret that the church may receive edifying. In other words, he's saying that tongues plus interpretation is equal prophecy. It's like the equivalent of two nickels make up a dime in value. Now, one nickel by itself would be less than the dime and less than the value of the, the dime. But the two nickels together 
would be equal to the prophecy, the dime which represents prophecy. So he says, covet to prophesy. He says, desire to prophesy. But now notice in verse 6, it says, Brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you except or unless I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine? Paul's giving an outline of what church services should be. He's giving an outline of what the Holy Ghost wants to take place in church services. Clearly, this isn't taking place in theirs because they're misusing tongues. From what we can gather of the things that he says further in the chapter, apparently the people in, in Corinth are spending their whole services speaking in other tongues, and nobody can tell what's being said. It may edify the ones that are speaking, but it doesn't do any good for the people that, that aren't doing the speaking or that are hearing the things being spoken in tongues without any understanding of what's going on. So God expects by the Holy Ghost, if the Holy Ghost is the inspired, uh, the one that inspired Paul to write these things, which he is, thank God. But the Holy Ghost seems to be saying that we should expect revelation in church services. He tells us that we should expect prophecy in church services. Now that can be in a number of things. There's an element to pro of prophecy in preaching. There can be an element of prophecy in teaching. But we also need to be open to the things that the Holy Ghost would say outside of the planned program for the church as well. So he says we should expect revelation, knowledge, prophesying, or doctrine, and doctrine in our church services. Now, folks, a lot of people are running around trying to find something a lot more than this. A lot of people aren't satisfied with the list that the Holy Ghost gives us. Or the list Paul gives us by the Holy Ghost. But he says these are the things that we should look for. Now remember, they've got all the manifestations of the Spirit in their midst. Paul told them, even though they were carnal Christians, in chapter 1, I think it's verse 7, he said, you come behind in no good gift. That means they're not lacking anything where the, the presence of the manifestation of the Holy Ghost is concerned. And it's not because of their spiritual maturity that they've got these things taking place. He tells them in chapters 2 and 3 that they're spiritual babies. You mean spiritual babies can operate in the Holy Ghost? Yeah. You mean God doesn't have to wait till we're mature until he uses us? If he's waiting on that, he'd never use anybody. But again, the Holy Ghost, who's the author of these words, is painting a picture of what we should expect in the church. Well, let's skip down a little bit more. We don't want to take the whole thing. Verse 13, it says, Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. Now, folks, if Paul is saying that he does this as an act of his will, then it means God's not forcing anybody to speak at any time. A lot of people are waiting for God to come on them in such a way that it, they have no choice but to speak in other tongues. And in years past, those are the types of things that were preached or taught about the Holy Ghost, but that they were taught in error. Paul says, I can control it. 
he winds up saying a little bit further, the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. That means God doesn't force us to do anything. The Holy Ghost is a perfect gentleman. He'll give us inspiration or utterance to speak, but it's up to us whether or not we utilize it. And there's, in my estimation, there are way too many spirit-filled believers that aren't using this power source that comes from speaking with other tongues. Because as I said, God will never force you to do it. You may be more inspired sometimes to speak in other tongues than you are at other times. But it's still at your will. God never forces you. Verse 18, Paul said, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church, I had rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Apparently, Paul's not used much in tongues and interpretation in his ministry. Because he is looking for the church services to be the time where he can reveal the things that Jesus showed him about who we are in Christ and all the wonderful things that belong to us because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So his concern is what's happening in the church services. Well, if he's not speaking in other tongues in church services, where is he speaking in other tongues? He said, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than all of you. Now, folks, this is a tongue-talking bunch. If Paul is speaking in tongues more than them, all of them, that must mean he wakes up speaking in tongues, speaks in tongues all day long, and goes to bed speaking in tongues in his private prayer life. Now, he's the one that knows. He's the one that reveals to us that speaking in other tongues edifies us. I wonder how he found that out. He found it out by speaking in other tongues. He found that out by yielding to the influence of the Holy Ghost without knowing probably anything about speaking in tongues. Without the revelation that Paul got from the Lord, how would we know any of these things? How would he know any of these things? But he begins to yield to the influence of the Holy Ghost and speak with other tongues, and he finds that it provides him spiritual power. It empowers him spiritually. Well, he certainly knew the value of that. Paul probably wouldn't have made it very long if he wasn't given to speaking in other tongues to edify himself. Speaking in relation to all the persecution and everything that came against him. If he didn't have extra spiritual power or the, the Holy Ghost power that comes by speaking in other tongues, he'd probably given up and left the ministry anywhere along the way. Verse 22, wherefore tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serves not for them that believe not, but for them that believe. If therefore the whole church be come together in one place, and all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers. Notice two different categories he's talking about. The unsaved and Christians who don't know about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. The unsaved and the unlearned. When they hear you speaking with other tongues, will they not say that you're mad? One of the great revelations I received that blessed me then and blesses me now is that God does not want the world to think the church is crazy. Now, you can't tell that by the way some people act. But Paul is giving them a, uh, instruction, trying to bring order to their services so that they'll be respected in the community and the city they live in. Not ridiculed. 
Folks, there's going to be plenty of persecution and ridicule that comes our way because we're committed to God. There's no point in adding fuel to the fire by acting crazy in front of people that don't know. He says in verse 24, But if I'll prophesy, and there comes in one that believes not or one that's unlearned, he is convinced of all, he is judged of all, and thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. That must be what Paul believes or knows that the Holy Ghost wants to happen in services. Now, folks, what would it be like if we understood and expected by the truth of the word that the Holy Ghost was going to reveal things in people's hearts so that he could bring them to conviction and bring them into the family of God? Folks, if that took place in our services the way that God wants it to, we'd never be trying to look for programs or ways to get people to come into the family of God. And again, these are the words of the Holy Ghost given to us or written to us by the Apostle Paul. God wants to reveal himself. The Holy Ghost wants to do the work Jesus said. He wants to reveal himself. He wants to reveal whatever is necessary for somebody to realize God's in this place. And falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. Uh, let me skip down to some of this, where I'm trying to get to. Look with me to verse 39. Uh, back up to verse 37. If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of God. But if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant still. Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy and forbid not to speak with other tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. So there's three times, same word used, one time in, at the end of, 1 Corinthians 12, the second time in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, and then the third time here in verse 39 of 1 Corinthians 14. Three times he says covet or greatly desire manifestations of the Holy Ghost. Now, folks, we just read, and we may need to remind you, it's in about verse 7 or 8, I guess. But notice it says the Holy Ghost manifests himself as he wills. It's real easy for us to take a position, and I think a lot of us have done this unconsciously, or I don't mean we weren't conscious, but, well, for whatever reason. It's easy to fall into the place where you think that it's up to God and the Holy Ghost to bring the manifestation that he wants to have or wants to bring to bear and not see any responsibility for ourselves, not to see anything, any, any part of the work for us. Because if no matter how much we pray, if no matter how much we ask God, the Holy Ghost manifests himself as he wills and only as he wills, then what good is our asking or praying? But there's some things that the Holy Ghost has begun showing me and revealing to me, and I, I'm embarrassed that I'm this old before I got it. But thank God it's coming at least now. But there are things that the Holy Ghost is revealing to me and, and bringing my, to my attention 
that's changing a lot about the way I do things, or at least approach things. For example, let me, let me talk to you, point it out this way and see if this makes sense. We live in a day where you can forego going to the car lot and buy a car online. We can order it just the way we want it. We can pay our money to have it sent to us. And as soon as we do that, as soon as we order it, as soon as we put down the money that, to pay the, the bill or whatever, we would be legitimately accurate and truthful to tell anybody that we saw, any one of our friends, that we bought a new car, right? We wouldn't have to see the car. We wouldn't have to have it sitting in our driveway. We own it when we buy it, right? But then there's another part to the, to the equation, and that is we have to, at some point in time, take possession of it. Well, the things of God are like that. Jesus was slain before the foundations of the world. That means salvation belongs to everybody. Whether they receive it or not, it belongs to everybody. But how do we take possession of it? We take possession of it through the spiritual force called faith. Jesus said in Matthew 11, I think it's verse 12, he said, from the time of John the Baptist to now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Now, he's not talking about physical violence because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But he's talking about an attitude, an aggressive attitude of refusing to have less than what the Bible says belongs to us. And the way we take hold of that, the way we exert that violent act or violent force is through the spiritual force called faith. The Bible tells us that we can't receive anything from God or we can't take possession of anything from God except by faith. Well, we're going to have to take possession of the Holy Ghost by faith too then. And I'm not talking about possession of the Holy Ghost in the sense that people need to be filled with the Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. That's true enough. But I'm talking about after we're saved, after we're filled with the Spirit, after we've received power from the Holy Ghost or from on high. I'm talking about taking possession of the things of God that Jesus told us that the Holy Ghost would do. I don't think too many of us do that. Now, it works in every other area. It works in every other benefit or thing that Jesus purchased for us. For example, healing. The Bible says Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses, and with his stripes we were healed. Well, even if there's symptoms of sickness or disease in our body, that doesn't change the fact that we were healed by the stripes of Jesus. It doesn't change the fact that healing belongs to each and every one of us. But it's up to us, not God, to take possession of that healing. It's up to us, not God, to exert the spiritual force of faith by believing in God's promise, by confessing the word of God that says it's ours. It's up to us and only to us to take hold of or to take possession of what Jesus did for us. In the same way, the gift of righteousness is the same. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 says, God made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Well, it's a fact that we're righteous. Now, the actions of our flesh may not bear that out. We may still stumble over sin. We may still fall into temptation. But falling into temptation or committing sin through our flesh does not change or negate in any way whatsoever that we were made righteous by the blood of Jesus. 
Well, then how do we come to the place where we know that we know that we know that we're righteous rather than just read it real quickly and say, well, yeah, I don't know about that. God knows how unworthy I am. And, of course, the devil's always there to remind you of what you did and how you messed up. But actions of the flesh don't, don't change the reality that we've been made righteous by the blood of Jesus. We cling to the thought and the idea and maybe even the hope that someday we'll do enough good in our lives or grow spiritually mature enough so that we feel like we're righteous. But, folks, I'm not sure we ever get to, place, get to, to the place where we feel righteous. Well, how do you do that? How do you come to the place where you grow in the knowledge of your righteousness? You can't grow in righteousness. It's done. It's absolute. But how do we grow in the knowledge of our righteousness? How do we grow in the knowledge of who we are in Christ? By taking the word of God and the promises therein and confessing them into our lives. Folks, that's one of the things that made the biggest difference of anything else in my spiritual experience, in my Christian life. When I started confessing that I was righteous, feeling as unrighteous as you could possibly feel, it started making a change in me. Because, see, I began taking sides with God, not against him. Your feelings want you to take sides against God and say, well, God was gracious enough to say that we've been made righteous, but we really know better. Do we? Do we really know better? Anything that we take sides against in God's word, is that really knowing better? No, it's forfeiting some of the blessings and benefits that Jesus purchased for us. So in the same way that we have to exhibit and exercise the spiritual force of faith to receive our healing, we have to uh, exercise that same spiritual force of faith concerning our righteousness. And in every other area too, anything and everything that Jesus has done for us has to be taken, uh, the only way we can take possession of it is by the exercise of this spiritual force called faith. Turn with me to John chapter 12. Uh, I'm sorry, John chapter 14. Is this making any sense to anybody? Jesus is talking to his disciples on the last night that he's been with them. Just hours before he's betrayed and the events surrounding the cross begin. Notice verse 16. He said, and I will pray the Father and he will give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. I'm glad he didn't say he'll abide with you for a few days and then leave us. He'll abide with us forever. Now, folks, if he abides with us forever, how can anything of the Holy Ghost have been done away with? How would that be possible? Well, it's not. So the, the Christians that say the things of the Holy Ghost have changed. God's not doing healings and miracles and tongues isn't necessary. They may be sincere in their belief, but they're sincerely wrong. They're absolutely wrong. I'll pray the Father and he will give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Because it seeth him not neither knoweth him but you know him for he dwells with you and he shall be in you. What would happen if we began to confess that the Holy Ghost was with us? What would happen if we began to confess every day many times a day that the presence of God through the Holy Ghost was with us? That he never leaves us nor forsakes us. What would that do to us? Well, it would make us conscious of the Holy Ghost that was sent to help us. Brother Hagin used to ask this question. He says, when the Holy Ghost comes to live on the inside of you, what's he doing in there? Is he just hitchhiking a ride through life? 
Well, for a lot of Christians, yeah. Because they never exercise faith to accept or to take possession of what Jesus said the Holy Ghost would do. So if we're not confessing that the Holy Ghost is with us every day, we're forfeiting the knowledge, the understanding, the real belief of the power that God gave us to indwell us. Let's look at something else Jesus said about this. Jesus said in verse 26, the same 14th chapter of John, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Not unless you confess it, he won't. Not unless you confess it, he won't. See, folks, these things have to be taken hold of and taken possession of by faith, just like everything else of God. Somehow or another, and I'll have to speak for myself, I don't know how other people look at this, but somehow or another I had an idea that when it comes to the Holy Ghost and the work of the Holy Ghost, it was kind of up to God to get the Holy Ghost to do whatever he wanted him to do. But we know that's not the case where it comes to salvation, is it? If somebody that's unsaved took the attitude and had the belief that, well, if God wants me to be saved, then he'll make it happen some way or another. That would be negating what the Bible says the, the means for receiving salvation is, which is exercising that spiritual force of faith. Well, then why would it be any different with any other area of God? We know it's true where the baptism of the Holy Ghost is concerned. You can be saved and spend 85 years on the earth and never receive the infilling of the Holy Ghost. But once you take what the Bible says about it and exercise faith toward it, then all of a sudden you're in. Now, when did God want you to receive the Holy Ghost? He wants all of his children to receive the Holy Ghost. So he wants us to receive the Holy Ghost as soon as we're born again. That's the only criteria to receiving the power of the Spirit of God with the evidence of other tongues. It's for the, the church, not the world. But look at how many people through ignorance, maybe no fault of their own, but maybe wrong teaching from the church. Look at how many people forfeit the power of God that Jesus died for to send to us because they never exercised faith toward it. Folks, that's true in every area concerning every blessing and benefit of God. We only have the things that we exercise faith to receive. We can have as much of God or as little of God as we want. But it doesn't change the fact that he wants us to have all of him. But he doesn't force it on us. It still becomes our choice. It still becomes our faith that reaches out to take hold of us. So what should we do? I've begun uh, speaking and confessing that the Holy Ghost teaches me all things and brings all things to my remembrance. Chapter 15 tells us more about what Jesus said about the Holy Ghost. Verse 26, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceeds from the Father, he shall testify of me. Not unless you believe, boy. Not unless you confess it. Now, in a general sense, everything the Holy Ghost does through you, through me, through anybody, testifies of Jesus. But I see a little bit more in this verse. I believe Jesus is talking about the work of the Holy Ghost in us as individuals. 
I believe he's talking about the Holy Ghost unlocking secrets of who we are in Christ so that we can walk in the truth. Notice chapter 16, verse 13. Jesus said, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. If the Holy Ghost automatically guides us into all truth, how is it possible for there to be error in the body of Christ? How can there be wrong doctrine in the church if the Holy Ghost guides us into truth? If the Holy Ghost guides everybody into truth? Do you see the point I'm making? If you want the Holy Ghost to guide you into all truth, start confessing that he guides you there. This word truth means reality. Somehow or another, and I got this, honestly, by speaking in other tongues. I had spent a little bit of time when I was uh, by myself at the house, speaking in the Holy Ghost, praying in the Holy Ghost, just had a high-heeled time by myself. And then right on the heels of that, the Lord directed me to start praying, or really not praying, but confessing, that the Holy Ghost guides me into the reality of healing. And folks, when I started doing that, I started seeing things I hadn't seen before. Now, if the Holy Ghost wanted to guide me into all reality all the time, every time, why didn't he just do it? Because he's a gentleman. He doesn't force himself on us. And remember, man is the one that has authority on the earth. The Holy Ghost does not have authority on the earth. Part of the blessings and, and benefits for speak, from speaking in other tongues is that it, through a language that we don't understand, that our mind can't comprehend, but God does, God knows, he gives us utterance to speak divine secrets. He shows us, in some respects, how to exercise our authority. And I believe that's exactly why the Holy Ghost directed me in the way that he did. Start saying that I guide you into the reality of healing because you want me to guide you into the reality of healing. I've learned a lot since then. I've learned a lot about my own situation. I've learned a lot about developing patience. I've learned a lot about holding, stand, holding steady and standing in the face of the work of the enemy. Well, he said some other things, too. He said, how be it when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. Now, folks, there's a lot to confess there. My favorite part of that verse, maybe yours would be, too, is he'll show you things to come. Let's keep reading before we talk about this any further. Verse 14, he shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. Verse 15, all things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore I said unto you that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. Jesus has clearly expressed his will in this situation. He's clearly expressed his will for you and I and for every other believer. He wants us to be empowered by the Holy Ghost. He wants the Holy Ghost to be so real to us that he guides us into the reality of who we really are in Christ. Now, folks, the gap between who the Bible says we are and who we live up to be is huge. But it doesn't have to be. 
if we know what the Holy Ghost is designed to do, if we know what he's sent to do, and believe him for it, he'll guide us into the reality of everything that belongs to us through the work of Jesus. Folks, i got to tell you, that's how I found out about this righteousness thing. The Holy Ghost directed me. He guided me to begin to start confessing that I was righteous no matter how I felt, no matter what I saw in my life, no matter where I stumbled, no matter where I fell. Start confessing that I was righteous. And as I've already told you, it was the biggest jump, the biggest leap forward I ever made in my Christian life. The Holy Ghost wants to guide you into who you are. Remember, Jesus doesn't even talk about power in, in this respect, healings and miracles in this respect. But remember what we saw over in John 14, verse 12. He said, Verily I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Well, how are we going to do those works? Folks, to be honest with you, it looks to me like the only way in the modern-day body of Christ that we expect anybody to do the same works that Jesus did and even greater works is somebody that has some special anointing to do healings and miracles. Where that part of their lives is a part of the ministry gift that they've been called to, to do and set in the church by God the Father himself. But that can't be what Jesus is talking about. If Jesus was talking about that, why would he tell the whole disciple? Why would he tell the whole group? He's expecting them to have supernatural results that maybe even went further than his. I don't know what the greater works would be, but they've got to have some meaning to Jesus when he spoke those words. I don't see how you can do greater works than what Jesus did. But he had to mean something by it. I'd be just satisfied with the works that he did. How are we going to do those works? Well, aren't those things that we should take possession of just like we do anything and everything else of God? Now, folks, those are things you may start confessing in a whisper. But the more you do it, the more your heart will agree with what the Word says, what Jesus himself said, and the more results you'll see. Verse 13 again, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, or guide you into all reality. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. In other words, what he speaks to you will guide you into the reality that you're believing for. Now, I don't know what reality you need to be led or guided into. Maybe you need healing for your body. Begin saying that the Holy Ghost guides you into the reality of your healing. You may need help financially. You may need God to increase you so you can pay your bills and take care of the things that you need to do for your family then begin to say that the holy ghost guides you into the reality of success and prosperity if god had a problem with people being rich he wouldn't have made abraham rich if god had a problem with you having more he wouldn't have given you the means and the the method which is this spiritual force of faith to gain more and to increase. You might need to be guided into the reality of how to handle a problem situation in your family. 
He'll show you that too. The bigger we confess, the bigger God can be in us. That's really just the bottom line. The bigger we confess what his word says that he is to us and in us, the bigger we can be for him. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. What all things is he talking about? Well, one of the things he said when he was resurrected in Matthew 28, it says that Jesus appeared to the, to the disciples and said, All power is given unto me, unto me in heaven and in earth. So if the Holy Ghost is going to guide us into the reality of what Jesus provided for us, part of that is going to have to be authority. He shall receive of mine and show it unto you. He shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. I wasn't planning to talk about this, but let me, let me close with this. A week ago, after having made a part of my confession for the last several years, just exactly what I expressed to you about believing for the Holy Ghost to guide me into all reality, the reality of my healing, there, there's been one thing that's kind of, uh, how do I say it? kind of nagged at me I guess and I don't share a lot about the inner workings of things concerning me and concerning my situation with, with much of anybody well really not with anybody because I don't want to have to deal with what they might think about it I know I'm on solid ground because I'm acting on the word and I really don't want to have to explain it to anybody else I will when the time comes but I don't want to have to do it in the middle of the fight. But there's some things that have come to my understanding. And I talk to God like he's my father. Because he is. Just as he's yours. So I've been talking to the Lord a little bit. About this thing coming to an end. One of the things the Lord had me confess. Early on was that he was the author and the finisher of my faith for healing. So I'm looking for him to be the finisher. But there's only two ways that the finish can come about. One is a surge of healing power to put an end to the things that are still hanging on. Or progressively, till you get to the place where patience has had its perfect work, according to what James said, where I'm perfect and complete, wanting or lacking nothing. It's got to be one of those two things. So I began talking to the Holy Ghost, confessing. Didn't really ask the Lord about it much, just confessed it. I began confessing that the Holy Ghost shows me the end of this thing. Now, that, there are a lot of things about this that I've tried to force unsuccessfully. And so I've come to the place where no matter how it is, no matter when it is, no matter what the circumstances are about it, it doesn't have to fit my will. 
his will is good enough for me. So it's become a thing, a, a, a prayer of consecration and commitment to be willing to have it in a way differently than what I might want it to be. But a week ago, the Holy Ghost, I don't know how to say this. I don't know if, it were, if they were words or if it was a vision or if it was just an imagination. The Holy Ghost spoke the words and I imagined something as a result of it. I don't know which one it is. It doesn't really matter which way it is or which one of those it was. Because we're supposed to see ourselves with what God's word says, right? So anything that God promises or anything God declares is yours. You should have a mental picture of that. You should see yourself with it. In a general sense, if Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses, thank God he did. And with his stripes we were healed, then we should see ourselves healed. Well, that part's never been a problem for me. But one of the things that I've been believing God for was for every trace of every symptom to disappear and be as if it never happened. Now, I won't have any trouble talking about it and rejoicing about it and keeping it alive in our memory so that we can re uh, uh, magnify Jesus for the results. But the Holy Ghost showed me what the last two things were that would be the last two to go and then after that everything would be done so I don't know if it was hearing those words or being impressed with those words that I imagined it saw it in my mind's eye or if it was a vision where I just saw it clearly those two the highest type of imagination and the lowest form of a vision which is a spiritual vision there's really not much difference between those two there's just a, uh, a hair's breadth difference between what you, as a believer with authority on the earth, envision yourself to be or to have based on what God has revealed to you and spoken to you as it would be having a vision itself. And one thing that I've noticed about this, now I have a greater faith than even I had earlier just two weeks ago because anything God speaks to you whether he shows it to you in a vision whether he speaks it to your heart regardless or some other way that it would come doesn't really matter anything the Lord brings to you and makes alive to you there's faith associated with that or attached to that brother Hagin used to talk about the gift of faith in operation there were many times in his ministry where it would manifest And the only thing that takes, the only thing that it takes for the gift of faith to operate is knowledge from God. Whether word spoken, whether vision. But anything and everything God says, anything and everything God reveals will always produce faith. So I'm seeing some direct results, some direct benefits from confessing that the Holy Ghost is doing what Jesus said that he would do. It seems that when I started putting my faith on it, and it took a while, didn't happen overnight, but it seems that when I started confessing and saying what Jesus said the Holy Ghost would do, start saying that he was doing it, 
not even asking him to do it, just began to say and confess that he was doing it. I've made some giant leaps forward. Why did it take till now? Because frankly, I wasn't believing for it. I was generally believing and accepting that the Holy Ghost would do whatever work God wanted him to do, but I wasn't believing specifically. And folks, if you're not believing for something specific, how will you ever know that it comes? We've got to be specific. And the Word of God is specific enough for us to claim the things that belong to us. But it's up to us. God will not usurp our authority to make something happen when he's given us the means, which is the word of God, and a voice to exercise authority in this earth for the Holy Ghost to do exactly what Jesus said that he would. It's been quite an adventure over these last few months with the things the Holy Ghost is showing me that are to come. It makes me feel even more stupid for having, to got, having gotten this old before I started doing it. I wish I'd been doing this for the last 40 years. But, praise God, at least I'm doing it now. Can't do anything about those years that are gone. But I can sure do something about the years to come. Jesus said the violent take it by force. Jesus said the violent take the things of God that Jesus purchased for us through his death, burial, and resurrection and possess it by force. You'll have what you say even when it comes to the work of the Holy Ghost. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your faithfulness to honor your word, your faithfulness to deliver your word to us. You told us, Father, that if we would attend to your word, if we would incline your, our ears to your saying, if we would let them not depart from before our eyes, if we would keep your words in the midst of our heart, they would be life unto us because we find them, and they would be health, health to all of our flesh. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for guiding us into the reality of who we are in Christ for taking the things that are of Jesus, for taking the blessed truths of redemption and showing them to us. We thank you, Holy Spirit. We covet the manifestation of your presence. We covet the power gifts of the Spirit. We covet the inspirational gifts of the Spirit. We covet the revelation gifts of the Spirit. We see that you want the church our church, every church that names the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior. We see that you want the church to be a powerhouse of revelation, of inspired utterance, and of power. Miracle and healing working power. We confess, therefore, that the Holy Ghost manifests himself in our services, in our people, among our congregation and that he shows us things to come thank you father for making it so by watching over your word to perform it in jesus name amen
Amen. God bless you, folks. Thanks for being with us.